Hello and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz. New Zealand's current account deficit, reflecting that we're spending more than we are earning overseas, swelled to a record high of $33.8 billion last year. As a percentage of gross domestic product, showing its significance in the context of New Zealand's overall economy, it weighed in at 8.9%. That's the highest it's been since the mid-1970s. New Zealand perennially has a current account deficit, but clearly it's especially big at the moment. Someone who's taking a keen interest in it is our guest, Martin Fu. He's a director and analyst at credit rating agency S&P Global Ratings in Melbourne. S&P has very strong sovereign credit ratings on New Zealand, but lists a persistently weak current account deficit as one of the downside risks to these ratings. Hi, Martin, and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. It's great to have you with us. Kia ora. It's uh, great to be with you, Gareth. Look, firstly, why is New Zealand's current account deficit so big at the moment? Um, and how does it compare to comparable countries that S&P rates? Sure. Thanks, Gareth. Look, so in New Zealand, the data on international balance of payments are released about 10 weeks after the end of each quarter. And like you mentioned, uh, last month, we got data from the statistical agency showing that the current account deficit have widened to uh, historic levels, 33.8 billion New Zealand dollars, 8.9% of GDP, if you were to measure it uh, relative to the size of the economy. So this quarterly print caused quite a bit of a stir in financial markets because it is a big number by Kiwi standards uh, and by global standards. Like you mentioned, it's reportedly the largest current account deficit since Stats New Zealand began recording these things 35 years ago. And it's almost certainly the biggest deficit since the oil price shocks of the mid-1970s. If we are to look into what's driving this current account deficit, most of the deterioration has been in something known as the trade balance. Um, And that has swung into a large deficit since the start of 2021. So the trade balance in very simplistic terms is just counting up the imports and exports of goods and services uh, of a country as a whole. Uh, In 2022, imports were up quite an astonishing figure, up 26% year on year, while exports were only up 17%. So in in very simple terms, this just means that growth in imports quite significantly outpaced the growth in exports. Um, Something interesting is happening with services as well. Since the international borders reopened, as we know, more New Zealanders have been traveling overseas. There's obviously a lot of pent up demand for air travel after the long pandemic lockdowns. And that's recorded in the statistics as a services import, um, because what the current account is trying to measure, of course, is transactions that are occurring between New Zealanders and the rest of the world. And so meanwhile, overseas visitors are returning to Aotearoa, but uh, again, just not quite as quickly. Um, And then the final piece of the story is the income balance. So this has also become a little bit weaker. New Zealand tends to have what's known as a net income deficit. Uh, So this is not unusual, but what's happened is because interest rates have risen so quickly all across the world, uh, and because New Zealand is a net borrower from the world, uh, New Zealand as a whole is paying more to service its foreign liabilities. And so there's money flowing out the door here as well. So unfortunately, you have this this record current account deficit that really reflects a unique confluence of a lot of pressure points materializing all at once. And Gareth, you asked about the international comparison. Well, 
unfortunately, to be blunt, uh, New Zealand's external metrics do look quite weak compared to other comparable countries right now. So as a simple example, last month, the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, uh, released uh, its World Economic Outlook. And the deficit in 2022, the current account deficit at 8.9% of GDP for New Zealand was actually the largest of any advanced economy uh, with the possible exception of Greece. And perhaps what's more interesting is that the IMF is projecting that the deficit will stay quite elevated um, at about 8.6% of GDP in 2023, which would make New Zealand the worst performer on this particular metric. So uh, I'm sure we'll uh, discuss more about uh, the reasons for this and the medium term projections. But uh, in short, uh, the record current account deficit is looking quite wide compared to not just Kiwi history, but also the rest of the world. Yeah, that's really interesting, um, Martin, to get all that detail in there. Um, you, you noted what the IMF is is expecting and, and a, a slight improvement, but not a massive one. What's, what's S&P's outlook for the New Zealand current account deficit over the next couple of years and, and why? So the IMF is projecting the current account deficit to gradually normalise. Uh, I'm just pulling up their figures right now. And they think the CAD will stay at about 7% in 2024 and only narrow to around the 5% range in 2028. For a bit of context, you can benchmark that against projections put out by the New Zealand Treasury itself or the New Zealand government. And they're projecting quite a sharper normalization of the current account deficit, so down below 5% uh, as soon as two years from now. For us at S&P Global Ratings, we're sort of somewhere in between. Uh, we think the current account deficit will normalize to about the 4% to 5% of GDP range. But for a bit of context, that is still a fair bit higher than where New Zealand has tended to be over the last three decades, which is more around the twos, the threes, the four percents. Um, so we are expecting the deficit will uh, stay a little bit wider for a little bit longer. Um, but it is going to come down, hopefully, from these current uh, fr from these very high levels at the moment. Um, if we want to dig a bit deeper into the reasons for this, well, I think one of the risks to point out right now is that in the short run, um, the current account deficit may not have actually reached its peak yet. So we had a very weak print in the fourth quarter of 2022, but then in the first quarter of this year, just a couple of months ago, uh, we've seen very significant losses from tropical cyclones Hale and Gabriel. They destroyed uh, a lot of agriculture, avocados, apple orchards, and so on. And remember that the affected regions include places like Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, Bay of Plenty. These regions account for most of New Zealand's output of uh, things like apples and kiwi fruit, and so on. So this means fewer exports, all things being equal, and a weaker trade balance. But uh, over the medium term, we do expect that normalization to still continue. There's a lot of factors that have depressed the trade balance right now that are temporary in nature, and we don't expect them to persist. So for instance, tourism is going to come back. We know that. New Zealand is back to about two thirds of its pre-pandemic visitor arrivals right now. So there's still plenty of scope for recovery there, and that's going to boost the services balance. Um, and then on the import side, I mentioned earlier that the total import bill has risen substantially, but that is a combination of both prices and volumes. So the volumes, or rather the demand for imports, that's probably going to wind down because quite simply, the New Zealand economy is slowing and that means households and businesses are going to cut back on spending. 
Um, and on the price side, there's also been a temporary spike in things like shipping costs. So global container freight costs, they really soared over the course of 2021 and 2022. They basically quadrupled. Um, but now in recent months, recent quarters, they've sort of reverted back to pre-pandemic levels. And that means imports are going to cost less for everybody. So in summary, there's reason to believe that the uh, enormous current account deficit numbers that we've seen are temporary, but it is also the case that the cyclone damage and the rebuild could mean that de the, the deficit gets a little bit worse before it gets better. Okay. So how much does the size of the current account deficit concern you at S&P? And how much of a factor could it be if you were to go ahead with any ratings downgrade? Right, that's a good question. So uh, we've been asked a lot of questions about the current account deficit in, in recent weeks. I would say that we're not sounding the alarm by any means, but we are raising our collective eyebrows, if, if I may say that, and, and we're asking some serious questions. Um, part of the reason is that uh, the current account deficit is an indicator of underlying economic conditions or underlying fiscal conditions. And we have to think about what's causing these record imports. Um, it is true that New Zealand's economy has performed very strongly throughout the pandemic years, but it's also true that uh, the government, uh, the previously Ardern government, as well as the Reserve Bank, they chucked the proverbial kitchen sink at the economy in the form of one of the world's biggest fiscal and monetary stimulus packages. So you have a domestic economy that through the last two years arguably became a little bit overheated. Labor markets became very tight. Um, and that means you have an economy with a lot of excess purchasing power and excess imports. So you could say that the nation as a whole in simple terms is spending beyond its needs. And we can talk a bit more about budget 2023 later on, I'm sure. But uh, in terms of what this means for our credit rating on New Zealand, so as a refresher, we have an extremely high credit rating on New Zealand. It's AA plus at the moment on what's known as a foreign currency basis and AAA on local currency. So those are the highest and the second highest ratings possible on our entire global scale. But I think there are some interesting comparisons to draw with what happened in 2011. So the last time S&P Global as a rating agency downgraded New Zealand was in 2011. That was a long time ago and the world was a very different place, but there are some striking similarities to, to what's happening today. So 2011 was a bit before my time at the agency, but I recall reading one of my predecessors reports from that time. And he talked about how New Zealand was facing a rising current account deficit and that was occurring in conjunction with earthquake-related spending pressures, so Christchurch earthquakes, as well as fiscal stimulus to support growth. And if you look at today's situation, if you substitute the word earthquake with the word cyclone, then you have a situation that's eerily familiar. So, you know, we still see New Zealand as having very, very strong credit metrics. It's got a low public debt burden. It's got uh, great institutions, credible monetary policy. But we are signaling that there are some vulnerabilities here that do warrant closer attention. Okay. In terms of those sovereign ratings, so as you say, um, you know, AAA local currency rating and AA plus foreign currency rating, the highest and second highest ratings that S&P, you know, has. Um, I mean, how concerned should we be about a potential downgrade, um, given we're starting from a really high base? 
not wanting to, you know, prejudge anything, any decisions you may make in the future. Sure. So to be perfectly clear, uh, we currently have New Zealand on what's known as a stable outlook, which means that uh, at the time of our last report or last update on New Zealand, we thought it was unlikely that there would be any credit rating changes within roughly a two year horizon. If we were to move, uh, we would typically signal that with what's known as a change of outlook. So we might say that New Zealand has a negative outlook and we'll be looking for downward pressures on, on the credit ratings. But right now we're still comfortable with the, the stable outlook. And over the coming weeks, uh, we'll assess the budget in more detail. We'll talk to the Treasury and the Reserve Bank and other stakeholders before forming our, our judgment. In terms of what this means, uh, if we were to take a rating action, either upward or downward, well, we put our credit opinions out into the market and it's really up to market participants to, to interpret them how they like. Uh, all things being equal, a lower credit rating um, or you know, a higher risk in terms of credit quality can lead to some changes at the margins. For instance, um, interest rates may rise a little on the cost of borrowing for New Zealand government debt um, or spreads may widen relative to say US treasuries or, or other safe securities. Um, but it, it, there are a number of uh, competing factors and, and there's always uh, cross currents in international markets that make it difficult to isolate the precise change of, 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 any, of any credit rating change. So uh, financial markets and um, bond market participants, they'll be looking at um, any credit rating change, but they'll also be looking at, that in, looking at that in the context of what's happening around the rest of the world, what's happening with domestic interest rates, what's happening with US interest rates, what's happening with the exchange rate and, and so on. So it can be hard honestly, to, to disentangle some of those factors. One final point I would make is that uh, under our sovereign rating approach, the New Zealand sovereign rating is very important because it also feeds into or caps a number of other credit ratings that we have in the country. So I work in the government rating practice at, at SNP, and uh, we have the pleasure of also having ratings on the local government funding agency, LGFA, uh, Kainga Ora, um, and 25 councils, uh, 25 local authorities, including some of the really big borrowers like Auckland Council and, and Christchurch City Council. And the sovereign rating uh, acts essentially as a cap on, on some of those uh, councils and some of those subnational government borrowers. So it may be the case that any lowering um, of the rating on the New Zealand sovereign also flows through to other borrowers like LGFA and Kaingawara. Okay. And just in terms of the, the foreign currency and local currency ratings, could you just give us a brief um, explanation of what that means, foreign currency and local currency, and also maybe why they're different? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's admittedly uh, something that's uh, even a bit head scratching, not just amongst uh, sophisticated investors, but uh, some of us internally within S&P. Um, in simple terms, look, uh, credit rating, uh, by our definitions, uh, refers to an entity's willingness and ability to repay debt. So it's, it's a very simple metric. Um, and we have the scale that goes all the way from AAA at the top down to D at the bottom, which is when you're effectively in default on, on your debt obligations. Um, for most borrowers, if you were to look at any, say, corporation, any bank, any insurance company, there's no distinction between these currencies. Uh, in essence, what we're saying is that if you borrow money, this credit rating to, uh, gives the market some indication of what the likelihood is that you're going to repay that money. Uh, 
but for sovereign countries, we do have that distinction and, and it's a little bit unusual. It's because of this history of sovereigns basically treating their local currency debts and their foreign currency debts a little bit differently. Uh, it is it has tended to be more common for sovereigns to default on foreign currency obligations. Um, that's for a number of reasons. One is that uh, they may make a determination that uh, if they don't pay their foreign currency investors, most of them are uh, offshore investors um, who don't have uh, a say in, in local politics, who, who don't have a, a, an electoral stake. So maybe the, the political costs are lower of defaulting on, on your foreign investors. Whereas with local currency obligations, typically there is a significant cost, especially if those local currency obligations are held widely by say superannuation funds, pension funds, the domestic banking system. Um, so in some rare cases, we do have this distinction and that's just to uh, acknowledge those differences between foreign currency risks and local currency risks. Um, and also I should add uh, quite simply, uh, a lot of sovereigns, particularly those like New Zealand that um, have their own monetary sovereignty, they have their own currency, basically they're not part of any monetary union. Um, they have a little bit more credit strength on the local currency side. They have a central bank that, uh, to be frank, can print New Zealand dollars if, if needed in a stress scenario. And so for all of these reasons, we have this one notch distinction. When we talk about sovereign ratings, we typically refer to our foreign currency rating just for international benchmarks. So that's AA plus. But for New Zealand, it may actually be the case that the AAA rating is more important because the New Zealand Debt Management Office borrows almost entirely in, in local currency in New Zealand dollars. One of the factors that makes up S&P's sovereign ratings is what you refer to as an external assessment. So this is scored from one to six, with one being the strongest and six the weakest. New Zealand's currently at five. Can you explain to us what this external assessment is and, and why New Zealand scores so lowly? Sure. So you're right. In simple terms, we have a, a six-point scale. Um, and it is important to note that when we look at our sovereign ratings, we are combining a whole bunch of quantitative and subjective assessments of a country together to arrive at that final credit rating. So in the case of New Zealand, we're looking at things like, uh, what is the quality of public institutions and governance? What is the credibility of monetary policy? Uh, what is the exchange rate regime? What is the level of government debt and fiscal deficits? And of course, uh, what do the external metrics look like, the current account deficits or, or, or so on? Um, and it may be useful also here to introduce another concept, um, which is the international investment position or IIP. So if you think about the current account as representing flows or transactions with the rest of the world, then you can think about the IIP, the international investment position, as reflecting a stock. It's like the sum of all of the country's cumulative past current account surpluses and deficits. Uh, when we put together those two metrics for New Zealand, um, it is the case that New Zealand's external metrics are, are quite weak. Uh, like, you, like you said, we score it at a five on a six point scale. For a bit of comparison, we also have Australia at, at, the, same, at the same level, five on a six point scale. Uh, and that is rather unusual for these sovereign nations that have very high investment grade ratings of AAA or, or, or AA. It is a, an unusual rating construct. And it's largely due 
to these countries sizable external liabilities. So what that means is that New Zealand, having run persistent current account deficits for many years, many decades, has built up a stock of external liabilities. It means Kiwis as a whole uh, are borrowing from the rest of the world. And in contrast, what you might see with other highly rated sovereigns, say the Canadas and the Germany, the Germanys and the Norways of the world, is that in contrast, they are net external creditors. Uh, these countries have more foreign assets than foreign liabilities, whereas in the case of New Zealand, uh, we have more foreign liabilities than foreign assets. So uh, that's a credit rating strength for those countries uh, in comparison to New Zealand and Australia. And what it means in, in some is that a country like New Zealand does have to have very strong other metrics just to offset that, that relative weakness. So uh, we do give New Zealand a lot of credit for those strong institutions, like I mentioned, for the relatively low level of public debt. But it is right to say that the external assessment historically has been a bit of a weakness. Okay. Um, back onto the, the current account deficit. So, I mean, there's a really interesting detailed report that BNZ put out when the uh, StatsNZ put out the last current account release. And one of the charts in it, um, I had a good look at this yesterday uh, as I was preparing for this uh, interview. And it appears to show that New Zealand's had current account deficits since the early 1970s. So, the last time we had a, sur a surplus was sometime in the very early 1970s. So as I mentioned at the start, we have this perennial current account deficit. Um, it goes back a long, long time. So I'm really interested to just ask you a little bit about with um, you know other countries that S&P rates, um, have you seen them take serious steps to try and reduce a current account deficit? And you know what have some other countries done and how successful might they have been? The first thing to note here, perhaps, is that in modern economic policy making, the current account balance is not typically seen as a policy variable. It's not something that is directly targeted by policymakers in the same way that the fiscal deficit or interest rates are, are targeted by policymakers. But um, as mentioned earlier, the current account, it does convey important information about the state of the economy whether the economy is, say, overheating or overleveraged. So there may be some things that a government can do or a country can do to, to address a high current account deficit. Um, to, your, uh, to the first part of your question about what we've seen in other countries, uh, it is absolutely the case that we've seen these concerns arise in, in countries comparable to, to New Zealand. So for instance, uh, I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, in Australia, Every Economics 101 student learns about how the former treasurer, Paul Keating, in 1986, he famously warned that Australia was in danger of becoming a banana republic, quote unquote. So there was a real concern back then in policymaking circles that if a country is overly reliant on foreign capital, it makes that country inherently vulnerable. And we can find these warnings echoed through a lot of advanced economies uh, that face similar challenges to what New Zealand is facing today. Um, you know, even in, say, Britain, uh, the former Bank of Governor, uh, Bank of England Governor, Mark Carney, um, he famously warned uh, a couple of years ago when Britain was facing a very large current account deficit, 
that Britain was, uh, or the UK rather, was reliant on the kindness of strangers, quote unquote. So he was uh, borrowing um, borrowing a phrase from, I think, uh, an American play. But what he was saying uh, is essentially is that um, that kindness of foreign strangers, that willingness to lend um, money to New Zealand, could quickly be withdrawn uh, without notice. And even in New Zealand, Sorry, even in New Zealand, uh, you know, the, these warnings have, have repeated throughout history as well. So uh, I recall there was a former Minister of Finance in the 2000s, Michael Cullen. Uh, he warned that uh, New Zealand faced a current account deficit that was way beyond his comfort zone. Uh, and that was when it was close to about 8% of GDP. So it's even a, a little bit lower than, than what it is today. So um, certainly the current account deficit has <laughs> drawn concerns from policymakers from time to time. And uh, it's it's something that um, uh, they've uh, wanted to address either directly or indirectly. So what can a country do in, in hypothetical terms? Well, one thing you can do uh, is reduce domestic consumption and, and spending on imports. So this tends to come about through tighter fiscal budgets or, or higher interest rates. So. In this situation, I think New Zealand is in a bit of a bind because budget 2023 uh, was actually quite expansionary. Um, uh, the government by its own calculations is adding what's known as a fiscal impulse of about 1.7% of GDP to the economy in the upcoming fiscal year. Um, and that's occurring at the same time as the Reserve Bank is trying to tame spending. So, uh, what tends to happen when you have an expansionary budget is that um, you know there'll be more money flowing through the economy, there'll be more purchasing power, and that may tend to lift imports. Uh, so conversely, if a country were to aim to reduce its current account deficits, you might try to you might see uh, it trying to clamp down on on those fiscal deficits, which is exactly what happened uh, with New Zealand, I think, in around the early two thousands, the the mid two thousands. Um, there are also things that a government could do to help its services exports recover. Um, in very simple terms, for instance, uh, New Zealand is already doing a lot of these things. Services exports will recover because a lot of those pandemic era restrictions have been phased out and visas are being pr processed uh, more quickly and there's more advertising of tourism and so on. Um, and there's also things a country can do on the supply side uh, to make exports more competitive and more attractive to foreigners. So it could be things like changes to certain regulations or tax policies or cutting red tape or improving education or innovation policies. All of these could help to enhance export competitiveness. But this is a long run game and it affects the trade balance over many years or, or, or many decades. So the evidence would suggest that the first thing a country could do uh, to reduce its current account deficit is really to get its fiscal house in order. Okay. And I mean, on that note, you, you touched on the budget there. Obviously, we had the budget last week. You described it as expansionary. Were there any other, uh, I mean, were there any particular concerns in it for S&P? And indeed, was there anything particularly encouraging in it? Yeah. So look, when the budget was released on uh, May 18, we did put out a short statement um, commenting that fiscal policy was uh, surprisingly a little more stimulatory than we'd expected. And I think a lot of other market participants formed that view. Uh, and as you know, there's a lot more spending on things like cost of living support, infrastructure, 
video gaming industry subsidies, uh, all, all, all of the lot. And like I mentioned earlier, the downside risk is that this spending will fuel inflation and it will drive up imports even further. Now, uh, it is true that a lot of that additional spending was for good reasons. Uh, clearly, no one could have predicted the impact of Cyclone Gabriel and the Auckland floods. Um, but it is also the case that as a small open economy, uh, it will always be the case that New Zealand has to import a significant amount of those things that are needed for the cyclone rebuild. So things like heavy equipment, machinery, um, raw materials and, and, and so on. So, that, so that's going to, to weigh uh, on the import balance, the trade balance. In terms of what we saw that was encouraging in the budget, I think, look, for a credit rating, what we are most interested in is not a point in time assessment, but what's going to happen uh, to a country, to its credit metrics over the course of several years, over the medium term or over an economic cycle. Um, it is encouraging that the government is still projecting uh, a quick, uh, a relatively quick fiscal consolidation beyond the current fiscal year. So the cash deficit um, of about 6% of GDP in the coming fiscal year is predicted to revert to very close to a balance in those outer years of the forecasts. Uh, we may take a slightly more pessimistic view at S&P, but uh, we still agree that there will be that fiscal consolidation pass. So as long as that happens, um, that's probably going to uh, support the credit ratings where they are. Um, and in terms of some other positives, look, I think Gareth, Perhaps in earlier parts of this conversation, I have been uh, a little bit admittedly pessimistic on, on the current account, but it is important to flag uh, some of the positives uh, around what's happening with external metrics um, over the course of the past years or, or, or past decades. Um, I mentioned earlier that New Zealand has this net international liability position, so it owes more in liabilities to the rest of the world than it has financial assets abroad. but it's interesting that those net liabilities have come down a lot over the last decade. So um, as a share of GDP, they've roughly halved between about 2009 and, and 2022. So this was that long period of, of um, recovery and rebuilding after the global financial crisis. Uh, so, and that was actually one of the reasons why we upgraded New Zealand in 2021. Um, so for a bit of context, New Zealand was actually the first country we upgraded after the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, which probably gives your listeners some indication of, of just how strong um, and how favorably we view the New Zealand uh, recovery story. So there are pluses and minuses here. It's certainly true that the current account deficit uh, at uh, current levels is, is uh, a little bit of a concern. But um, the context here is that New Zealand has done a pretty good job of improving its international liability position over that preceding decade, which does give it a little bit more headroom for um, some of the current weakness that we're experiencing. Just thought I'd, I'd wrap up by asking you um, for the key factors that, that, that could lead to a, a downgrade of New Zealand sovereign ratings, but also ask, is there any potential for, for upside, I mean, from those you know, AA plus and AAA ratings? Look, there is, there is potential for both downside and upside here. Uh, after the budget, we did comment mostly on the downside pressures, but I think over the medium term, 
and on a structural basis, New Zealand uh, actually has a lot going for it. So first of all, uh, I'll, I'll start with the downside scenario because as a credit rating agency, you know, we're trained to be inherently a bit pessimistic and we look at downsides more than upsides. But the downside for us is uh, if the fiscal deficit doesn't narrow as we forecast, if it stays at that um, sort of structurally elevated level and if debt continues to rise, then that's when we may look at lowering our ratings. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the fiscal deficit is projected to narrow quite sharply in budget 2023, but we fully understand that there's a general election coming up in five months time. There may be pressure for more spending, particularly if, say, the global economy takes a turn for the worst or if there is some other exogenous shock, you know, uh, a shock in one of New Zealand's trading partners or some other natural disaster. Um, in such a scenario, we could see the current account deficit remain persistently weak. We could see that in combination with elevated fiscal deficits, a rising debt burden, and rising public interest costs as well. So all of these together would reduce the government's headroom in its current rating of AA+, um, and would probably make us lower the rating. Uh, on the upside, though, I mentioned that New Zealand is uh, one of the very few countries that we've upgraded since the pandemic. Um, we did that because we saw a, a very strong recovery in the early part, part of the pandemic. And also, as I mentioned, um, some of those external risks had waned over the preceding decade. And in each of our reports on New Zealand that we published to the market, we do put out uh, what's known as upside and downside scenarios. And in this case, our upside scenario is if uh, those deficits, the fiscal deficits, do narrow quite, quite considerably and debt, public debt, uh, starts to turn and, and goes on a downward trajectory, um, then that's when we may uh, look to uh, raise the rating. Um, the local currency rating can't get any higher. At AAA, it's absolutely pristine. It's the best of the best. But uh, if the foreign currency rating were raised uh, to AAA, then that would put New Zealand on par with only a small handful of countries worldwide that have these absolute gold-plated ratings. So that would be quite an achievement. We're not signaling that. Uh, we're certainly not signaling that yet. Um, it is still the case that New Zealand is a small open economy, relatively concentrated uh, domestically as well as in its export markets. And there are some of those vulnerabilities like we've discussed in this podcast. But over the medium term, if we can see that fiscal consolidation, if we can see that debt start to come down, then maybe there is a path to an upgrade there as well. Well, look, thanks a lot for that, Martin. That's really interesting to, to walk us through all of that. That's Martin Fu, Director and Analyst at Credit Rating Agency S&P Global Ratings. And I'm Gareth Moore at interest.co.nz with another episode of our Of Interest podcast. 